Well, I always thought that the trick to uh, avoiding being a conformist is to ignore the concept of convention altogether. Well, Conven- it's not easy. Um, these days you get mugged if you, um, if you deviate in the slightest from whatever the orthodoxy is. And this war in Ukraine is the most intense information war humanity has ever seen. Uh, There are so many lies flying about that it's totally impossible to perceive the truth. Ambassador Freeman, you've saved me the trouble of creating a preview clip for this video. There was a great introduction that you just said. (laughs) As you wish. Go ahead. Great. Let me introduce you to our uh, listeners. For those who are listening to this clip, you are hearing a conversation between me and uh, one of our most illustrious guests, Ambassador Chaz Freeman. Ambassador Freeman has such a long list of accomplishments, it would be impossible to list them all here. But some of them I I jotted down to make sure I get the primary ones. Ambassador Freeman was Assistant Secretary of Defense for the International Security Affairs in 1993 and 1994. Prior to that, he was the U.S. ambassador to Saudi Arabia from 1989 to 1992, where he dealt with the Persian Gulf War. He was the principal deputy secretary of state for African affairs, a position in which he played a role in the negotiation of the Cuban troop withdrawal from Angola and the transition of Namibia from a de facto colony to an independent state. He was President Nixon's principal interpreter during his 1972 visit to China which led to the normalization of U.S.-Chinese relations. He's uh, educated in Yale and Harvard, the latter where he received a doctorate of jurisprudence, and he is the author of several books on U.S. foreign policy and diplomacy, many of which I have read, the latest of which I highly recommend. It's called, I have it here, America's Continuing Misadventures in the Middle East. It was very gracious of you to come on our podcast today, Ambassador Freeman. Yakov, I'm happy to be with you. Glad to have you. So here's my question. How is somebody like me, with all this propaganda going around, supposed to know the truth regarding important issues such as war, peace, nuclear threats, and things like that? What would you suggest? If you have a television, turn it off. Oh, I don't have one. And this is one of the reasons. Great. I know you don't. I don't have one either. Um, I have a, a... a TV screen on which I watch films, mm-hmm. I select. Um, I do not uh, receive predigested information that has been mangled by corporate interests or ideological interests of one sort or another uh, to conform to some particular view of reality. Uh, but the answer to your question is that, in effect, it's almost impossible, if not impossible, now to do that. Uh, We are uh, surrounded by the information sewer of social media uh, in which expertise is derided and uh, every fool has an equal voice. Uh, We are subjected, as you suggested, uh, to an unparalleled flow of uh, self-interest and propaganda. Uh, The Ukraine war uh, is uh, the worst I've ever seen. Uh, I did live through the McCarthy era as a child. I do remember it. Um, uh, and later, of course, I worked on China. 
and that was the main focus of the insanity of the time. Um, but um, I've never seen anything quite this bad, even after 9-11. Uh, I remember getting up and speaking to a large gathering uh, of uh, the Knights of Malta. Uh, I think it was the Episcopal version, not the Catholic version, um, in New York. And um, being castigated afterwards for saying, this was right after 9-11, that um, uh, our mission in Afghanistan had to be very limited if it were to be successful, and that the FBI badly needed to be reorganized because it was insensitive to foreign realities and had no analytical capability. And I, some gentleman came up to me after the talk and said he wanted to make sure he got my name right to ensure that I never got a job in any administration. Oh, my. I replied to him, if you'll give me your name, I'll do the same for you. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, things have descended to a level where sensible, thoughtful people who have been uh, antidotes to some of the groupthink that afflicts us uh, are dropping out. Um, you know, there is uh, there's a wonderful book by Alfred O. Hirschman called Exit, Voice, and Loyalty. I don't know if you've read it. No. Uh, but what he does is he takes economic concepts and applies them to politics. And he says, basically, a political system depend, is affected by three different approaches to, uh, to, to different views. Um, there are those who uh, react to uh, bad behavior. Let's say they've always bought Chevrolets for their uh, in their family, and suddenly Chevy's turning out lemons. And, you know, they think, you know, they drop out. That's the exit. They just say, okay, I've had it with this uh, manufacturer, and I'm going to buy a Toyota. Um, and then there are those who give voice. They write to GM and they say, you create, you're building crummy cars. And if you don't shape up, I'm going to have to look elsewhere. Those are the people who give voice. And the great mass of the people are apathetic. They just stumble on the way they always did. And there's no penalty, therefore, for, uh, for poor performance. Uh, politics works this way. Uh, apathy is the greatest source of stability in a political system. Um, people who give voice uh, are terribly important. Now we see many people have dropped out of the public debate. Others are in the process of giving voice and being expelled from the community. And what's left are the apathetic loyalists, but there are fewer and fewer of them. And Hirschman says, when you get to a certain level, if you're if it's a company, you go bankrupt. If it's a political system, you have a revolution. What strikes me at the moment in our country is, I don't care whether you're on the right, left, or center, uh, what your view is, uh, I meet no one who is not disgruntled and dissatisfied with the direction of events. And yet, democratic theory says that the expression of antagonistic views, debate, if you will, is essential to find the truth. And we are being 
seeing debate suffocated uh, by political correctness, by narratives that are held with great righteousness by those who hold them, uh, and defended with intolerance of any other view. Uh, I think this is a great menace to the country. And Ukraine has brought this to a peak, which I have never seen before. I agree 100%, but I, I think there's something additional as well. Even if somebody wants to voice his opinion and wants to get involved, and he wants to get involved on the correct side, not politically correct, he really wants to do the right thing. There's no way for him to really get information that will tell him what the right side is. There is so much propaganda on both sides. And uh, depending upon what news he listens to and what he watches, and even if he watches both, that'll just totally confuse him. Uh, people are, are being bombarded with so much propaganda and just lies and half-truths. It is impossible, I think, for even a a well-intended person to come out with anything close to reality. Very, very difficult. It's made more difficult by the ways in which uh, communication on public issues and other issues have changed. Um, communication is now managed uh, by corporate oligopolies. Um, that is Twitter and, and Facebook and all these things. Um, and uh, they have several uh, traits in common. Their business plan basically depends on discovering your biases, your prejudices. We all have them. Uh, and then connecting you to people with similar biases uh, so that you never hear a view that contradicts your own basic worldview. Um, and uh, this is creates uh, a whole series of incubators for conspiracy theories, uh, and also for uncivil muttering between members of these biased groups. You know, these are all our own people, so we can afford to be injudiciously and vilely um, abusive of people who don't agree with us. Uh, and then this spills out into the general uh, communication realm and you see a very sensible, uh, well-articulated, thoughtful view expressed, and then and then followed by nine uh, intemperate, often vulgar, uh, insulting diatribes against whoever offered that view. Um, and uh, so I think it's become, you know, it's partly technology, partly uh, the end of a competitive. Uh, economic system of the sort we previously had in the United States. Um, and, and finally, you know, the, the, the ultimate insult is really what the EU has just proposed to do, uh, which is to empower these technology companies to eliminate what they call hate speech, um, you know, improper uh, opinions about uh, various protected group, LGBTQ or whatever. Um, and uh, so essentially the government in Europe uh, is doing a, legally, officially, uh, what has been done informally here, namely empowering uh, corporate structures whose interest is in making money by selling advertising, uh, not in promoting the truth, 
uh, to be the censors of public discussion. So can a society that um, regards honest discussion of long-term issues, the implications of trends and events as taboo, uh, prosper? I doubt it. I think we are in trouble. You mentioned how the, the communication in the media is in the hands of uh, corporations that sell advertisements. That's a, that's a very significant uh, piece of information that kind of just passes over everybody's heads. I always tell people to see if they understand their media. A shoe store sells shoes. A pizza store sells pizza. What does a newspaper sell? Well, most people say newspaper sells news, but that's absolutely wrong. A newspaper sells advertisements. The news is just a way to attract readership so that the advertisements will be worth something. But newspapers are in the advertising business, and so are uh, television talk shows, so are radio talk hosts. All of our media are in the business of selling advertisements, and therefore, whatever is best for their advertisement business, that's the type of news they're going to uh, convey. And that's the truth, quote unquote, that they're going to portray. And that's a terrible thing. What, Chaz, would you rather have, though? Let's talk about this. Would you rather have government regulated media? Would you rather have back the fairness doctrine and expand it not only for radio, but for everybody? How, how would you think to fix this problem? Uh, the problem that you describe is, I think, nicely exemplified. Uh, by the decision of the major television networks, probably 25 years ago, uh, to cease to regard the evening news as a public service and to treat it as a cost center uh, in business terms. And so that it had to sustain uh, a listenership for the purpose of advertising. It had to turn a profit. Um, that devalued the pursuit of truth in favor of greed. Uh, this is not a new human phenomenon, um, but we have seen it at least in my lifetime uh, and the lifetime of most who are watching, I'm sure. Uh, so, so this is um, uh, a, a, an issue. What is the answer to it? Um, the only answer to it is a moral answer. You cannot, whether you have government controlled media or sponsored media, let's say the British Broadcasting Corporation, the BBC, um, or you have privately funded uh, media. Uh, and there's an interesting history here. If you don't mind, I'll just Please. Uh, mention it briefly. Um, when radio came in, uh, British Marconi was the uh, primary vehicle for this. And there was grave concern in the United States that Marconi would take over our media. The first radio station in the United States uh, to broadcast was in Pittsburgh. Uh, and they had to find a way to support themselves financially. But at the same time, the British were wrestling with the same question. How do we sustain uh, radio? Uh, they came up with a, a proposal which uh, was public finance of radio, but independent direction of radio. In other words, they, had, they taxed radio sets, and they still do to this day, I think. Um, and this supports the BBC. Um, here, we went for advertising. 
huge results flow from this. Um, advertising began as a commercial matter. It soon became political advertising. When the television age arrived, Adlai Stevenson and uh, Dwight Eisenhower debated the first time on television. Um, television became the main medium of communication between political leaders, politicians, and the masses. And it's very expensive. Uh, and eventually, we got to a point where we are today, in which people running for office are remanufactured by spin doctors. What you see is not what there is. What the, you see is an image that has been carefully contrived uh, and is presented to you in infomercials or uh, advertising, political advertising, uh, and which costs a lot of money. And so every member of Congress, uh, every member of a significant legislative body, uh, every executive arrives in office with his or her handout for donations to support communication via the media. Um, there's an obvious answer to this, which is to fund uh, the media for political purposes, not to regulate it, but to allow people to get on it and present themselves as they are. Um, parliamentary systems don't have quite the same problem that we do, because in parliamentary systems, leaders are selected by their peers, people who work with them, who know them, face-to-face. -face. Um, in our case, we select leaders in response to the image that their spin doctors produce. Uh, and we have really got some fairly loony people in office as a result of this. Um, but I go back to the thesis that social cohesion, political performance, integrity, ultimately depend on some moral standard. And here I will revert to my experience in Saudi Arabia. Um, I got an instruction as ambassador to open a dialogue on human rights with the uh, Wahhabi establishment in Saudi Arabia. Uh, as you know, uh, Saudi Arabia professes a very austere uh, puritanical uh, version of Islam uh, that is notoriously intolerant of other versions of Islam. Uh, and uh, quite hostile to Christianity, less so, interestingly, to Judaism. Uh, so I had a couple of, um, uh, they don't have clerics, of course. Uh, they have, as Judaism does, they have learned men who, uh, who, who are, are leaders in the community. Um, I had a couple of these people over for lunch, and, and we had a discussion of having a human rights dialogue. And I was really struck by the answer one of them gave to me when I said, well, would you be willing to conduct such a dialogue with the United States? And he said, no. And the reason I won't, he said, is you have forgotten the religious and moral roots of your values. He said, you profess freedom of speech as a right. And you forget that this right along with the equality of people and attention to due process is rooted in 
the Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition. And you say these are absolute rights. But your founding fathers, when they when they enacted the Bill of Rights, understood that there would be moral restraints on individual behavior. Uh, running down the street naked, giving everyone the finger, is not an expression of any valuable protected speech in their view. They didn't think this would happen because they believed that the social system would uh, inculcate sufficient levels of self-restraint and morality to ensure that free speech was devoted to serious topics um, and not used uh, to offend uh, people uh, as, a, as a demonstration of individual uh, uh, power. So uh, I thought this was a really interesting response. Uh, and I found, you know, actually, I agree with it. Um, legal rights must rest ultimately on moral precepts. And if they don't, they are easily abused. Now that they don't, and we live in a society that for better or worse, and we can agree it's for worse, ignores this principle, what do we do now? You know, if I knew the answer to that, Yaakov, um, <laughs> I, I, would be, I would be a very different person than I am. Can I throw um, out an idea? Please. I would attach a fiduciary responsibility to people who uh, convey the news and the facts and things that are so important uh, to society uh, they're on the same level that we do to doctors and even lawyers. Uh, a president with his finger on the nuclear button or even any politician with the power to uh, control or influence public discourse, which it's, it's relevance to war and peace and all sorts of important things. I think that they have as much a fiduciary uh, responsibility as a banker or a lawyer does. And they should be uh, held responsible that, yes, they can have an opinion about anything. But when we're talking about conveying facts and news, it should be with the same level of fiduciary responsibility that a doctor has when explaining the options to a patient. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I remember that, that uh, doctors were not allowed. Doctors and lawyers were not allowed to advertise. Correct. You know, cigarettes were allowed to advertise. Then they switched it. Cigarettes on TV, at least, they're not allowed to advertise. They took that away. But doctors and lawyers now can. I was really in favor of that law. I like that law that doctors and lawyers cannot advertise because choosing a doctor is too important a decision to tie it to promotions or advertising shtick, you know? And I think that we should have the same laws regarding politicians. We should regulate the political influence on people uh, and by giving them a fiduciary responsibility, no different than doctors, lawyers, or bankers. What do you I think? think? I think you're right, but this raises the question, quis custodians, who is the guardian of the guardians? Um, and, uh, you know, um, the answer to the question must be, again, I think, um, a set of moral precepts enforced by a community. Um, if a president uh, has is a sociopath, and we have seen a few of those, um, uh, then, uh, by definition, so far it's always he, uh, will be uh, amoral. Um, 
self-interested and not uh, not a fiduciary in the sense that you uh, you correctly suggest uh, he should be. So uh, the question is, um, uh, by the way, I totally agree with you about um, the advertising by lawyers and doctors, and I just had a very um, annoying in, uh, example of this. I have a minor dispute uh, with the DC tax people, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, in which my accountant uh, says is entirely their fault and uh, will be fixed. But you know they grind along in their in, inept, uh, automatic, automatic manner. So I now have a lien on they put on me. Uh, the lien happened on one day. The next day, I got 25 letters from different law firms all over the country saying that uh, they could settle this for about one-tenth of what mm -hmm. the DC government wants. So I thought, oh, my God, you know, this is really uh, beyond the pale. Um, lawyers, uh, I, I, I went to law school, as you mentioned, uh, uh, I worked in a law firm in Boston. Um, I liked it because it had linoleum on the floors and etchings on the walls. And uh, when I asked the partners why they did this, they said, this is New England and people don't want the lawyers to have a lot of overhead. They want them to be focused on the client, not on making money. But of course, that's all gone. And the same law firm now has plush carpets and fancy paintings and whatnot. Um, and I think doctors also have become a sort of guild uh, where incomes are uh, pursued with great abandon. And sometimes the patients are abandoned uh, in, that, in that cause. But yes, politicians should be held to some kind of standard of moral integrity. Uh, fiduciary is the right word. Uh, they are entrusted by us with our interests. Uh, they should be responsible for the custody of those interests. But how do you enforce that? You see, an impeachment is the provision, is the, the, the remedy provided in the Constitution. But you now see with the, I'm sorry to say, the Republican Party being more Leninist than the Communist Party, uh, you now see the impossibility of any kind of impeachment of a Republican president. And I doubt that the Democrats would prove any better if a Democratic president were impeached. So the remedy has been removed. And we are left with a level of venality and self-serving uh, uh, disregard of the public interest on the part of our politicians uh, that is quite scandalous. I would say treat them like doctors and lawyers, sue them, consider them uh, even criminally responsible after a certain point. They have a simple fiduciary responsibility, a legal responsibility, uh, given the trust that's put in them by the public. They're very simple. You know, if, when, you had, if you had as, you know, the effort to uh, provide a, a due process for evaluating misbehavior uh, by legislators uh, has involved uh, the establishment of codes of ethics and committees, mm -hmm. which are supposed to enforce those codes of ethics. But these two have been corrupt. Right. Uh, but it doesn't mean the 
It doesn't mean that the mechanism itself is wrong. Uh, it means that uh, we have elected a class of people who are essentially unscrupulous uh, and not bound by any moral code that you or I would recognize. Right. The key phrase there being, we have elected. If that's yeah. the problem, we, we need to, I mean, people can choose their doctors and their lawyers and their bankers, but choosing somebody isn't enough where fiduciary responsibility is involved. The FDA regulates things, and I think we should have some kind of regulatory organization to, uh, it's, it's better than nothing. It's, FDA isn't perfect, obviously. They have their flaws, but at least people could sleep better at night knowing that when they eat food, it's regulated by some organization. And I think that the same type of regulation should apply to, I mean, the, the level of, of danger that a president or a politician could put the people in is certainly equals and exceeds the level of danger that a lawyer, a banker, and sometimes even a doctor or a food manufacturer can put people in. It's vastly greater, in fact. Vastly greater. The, the President of the United States has the capacity to destroy the human species. There you go. Nuclear, nuclear weapons. Um, uh, so, and so, you know, so your, point is, your point is absolutely correct. Now, the only way, answer that I can provide to your, your moral insistence on uh, rectitude uh, is that your example of the FDA um, is very much in point. Uh, Upton Sinclair and others um, documented uh, the immense abuses of the food chain, uh, you know, the rats parts and other things in the food that we were being sold in our stores. Oh my. And that led to the creation of the FDA. Now, perhaps the abominable abuse of uh, standards that we now see in politics will in time lead to uh, a similar reform. Uh, but, you know, I go back to exit voice and loyalty. There's an awful lot of, of, uh, of, of people out there who are just completely apathetic. And, and I, I go beyond that. There's actually, in some of the public, a kind of um, malignant or a gleeful, perhaps, um, enjoyment of the cynicism of our politicians. You know, these are smart guys who are cheating everybody. Look how wonderfully they're cheating them. Uh, you know, I mean, this is uh, P.T. Barnum's insight, you know, that you can, you never should underestimate the stupidity uh, of the populace. Um, so we come back to, I, I think you always come back to the quality of society, which means education, and it means moral education. You know, your own tradition in Judaism, uh, as I understand it, um, emphasizes two things, scholarship uh, and ethical reasoning on the one hand, and second, the pursuit of justice on the other. I think this is the distinguishing mark of your religion, and uh, it's why I respect it. Uh, now, I don't think you would argue that every adherent of Judaism uh, exemplifies these two qualities. Um, 
And you have a mechanism in your own community uh, for rendering a degree of judgment on on people, I believe. Uh, that's good. Right. So the the mechanism that we have for enforcing whatever needs to be enforced is minimal and limited to social factors because we live in a the United States of America, which has its own legal system. And right. we do rely on the American legal system, such as the police and things like that, to enforce whatever they need to enforce, right? The fire department and fire codes, we can't enforce any of these things. And even if we wanted to, which I, I, I personally don't, but even if we wanted to, we wouldn't have the resources or manpower to be able to do it. So, you know, I can't think of any logical reason why we should legally uh, enforce or regulate politicians any less than we do lawyers or bankers. You know, as imperfect as regulation is, I, I see an inconsistency here. And the only reason I could think of that our system is the way it is because the politicians are the ones that decide who get regulated. So well, exactly. this is the who uh guards the guardians business right and one of the one of the the i would say the most important character trait in judaism though is the uh, desire for truth uh, a bias is the worst thing in the world and as you know we don't have televisions we orthodox jews we i don't have a television the worst thing my my nemesis is uh editorials and uh political uh, opinion shows and things like that i tell my congregants and anybody who has any interest in uh, listening to what I say, that they should stay far away from all those talking heads, get facts from the most, uh, most accurate, uh, objective, unbiased sources possible, and save the entertainment for, go to the circus if you want entertainment. But, uh, you know, uh, these, these uh, opinions, it's, it's so easy for a person to absorb somebody else's opinions, and people are so easily affected by them both subliminally and like just straight up. And that's before you get to the fake news that's out there. And as, as, you, as you said so uh, correctly, that the pe these news outlets are in the business of making money and they play on people's biases and that determines what people are going to listen to. And there's a whole vicious cycle of people being trained to be uh, narrow-minded and dumb and ignorant. And worse yet, not only narrow-minded, dumb, and ignorant, but narrow-minded, dumb, and ignorant, and made to believe that they are educated and knowledgeable in the topics. That's the big problem. An uneducated person who knows he's uneducated is what we call a halbitzer. That's a half of a problem. But an uneducated person that thinks he knows what he's talking about, he's dangerous. Stay away from such people. And that's what our society is, is being made into. There is a confusion between fame, which is justified prominence, and notoriety, which is morally uh, neutral or even amoral um, um, celebrity. And um, I agree with you, we have a problem. Um, you know, one of the things I actually admire the most about um, uh, the Jewish tradition is the prophetic element, which is uh, the person who stands up and says the truth as he or she perceives it, regardless of the peer group pressure to conform to some other view. 
Um, I've known many people over the years, a uh, disproportionate number of them actually Jewish, uh, who, who embody this idea. Uh, and I revere it. And I fear uh, that uh, we are, uh, as the, in the Japanese and Chinese phrase, you know, seeing the, the, the nail that sticks up being hammered down. Um, we're not uh, tolerant of uh, idiosyncratic uh, opinion or, uh, or dissent. Uh, in fact, political correctness in many, many dimensions is now the dominant uh, form of oppression in the United States. It is not the government so much that is extinguishing free speech, but we ourselves. Um, and this all goes back, I think, uh, to um, the comforting agglomeration of like-minded people that the social media corporations arrange. Um, right, so, and, and since it's not the government that's suppressing free speech, but it's the people's free speech that are that's doing it, that overrides any legal safeguards to protect free speech. Which is why people need to read John Stuart Mill and to recall that the theory of democracy is that antagonistic expressions of opinion are essential to find the truth. Right, in the, in, in the Jewish tradition, uh, before one expresses his opinion, we need to be sure of what we're saying. If a person, loosely translated, it means don't say anything unless you know what you're talking about, okay? You're entitled to your opinion, but, but before you go around preaching something, make sure you really know what you're talking about. Get educated, get knowledgeable. You know, Chaz, you mentioned education. I would also change the educational matrix here. I would teach critical thinking skills, which is not taught. Uh, when I was a kid, the teachers uh, and my children also, when they went to school, the teachers would always ask them their opinion about things. I remember I complained to the teacher in PTA when they made a mock elections. It was a first time president um, Clinton was elected. And they asked these kids in elementary school, fifth grade, sixth grade, who would you vote for and why? Now, not a single one of these kids knew anything about the issues. The teachers thought that they were training these kids to express opinions and be involved in the democratic process. But really what you're teaching these kids is to uh, be involved in the democratic process without knowing anything about yeah, what you're exactly. talking about. It's a terrible thing. I, If I was a teacher, I would tell kids, any kid that expresses an opinion about what president they want, I would grill them. Why? What do you know about this? Maybe first right. get an education and, and, and become knowledgeable about what you're talking about before you make a decision, even to vote. Nowadays, the, uh, the requirement to think has been removed from society. I remember a very embarrassing moment in law school when I was asked to defend a proposition. And I said, it's in the Constitution. And the professor said, where? What does it say? <laughs> good, uh, good for him. No, I didn't know. Uh, <laughs> and I learned something from that. Um, there's a, I grew up in the Bahamas and there's a Bahamian expression, shut mouth, catch no fly. Very good. <laughs> Which <laughs> basically good. is the same notion. And I, I don't know what the, um, what the uh, Jewish tradition version of what both Socrates and the great Chinese military thinker Sun Tzu said. Uh, know thyself and know the other. If you want to compete, 
You must, in Chinese, you must know yourself. You must know your competitor. Um, I don't think at the moment we very much understand either ourselves or our international competitors. Uh, and I think um, this is not a recipe for success. Knowing yourself is a very, very important thing in Judaism. It's almost impossible to do anything without that, especially now that everybody's, everybody's telling you who you are and what you are and what you ought to be. You know, um, even if a person wants to know himself, he looks to others to get that information. It's like a little kid. You have a, you know, a little kid just walking along the floor, a little baby, and he slips and bangs his head. There's a little moment there that he looks at all the adults in the room to decide whether he should start crying or not. You know, <laughs> And if the, the adults go, oh, and they get scared, the kid starts crying because he gets the message that something scary uh-huh. happens to him. But if the adults start laughing, oh, how cute, you just smacked your head on the floor, the kid starts laughing. You know, and we, our society has a level of intellectual maturity of that kid. Before a person uh, expresses an opinion, they look to others. And before a person has the self-expression and they they look to others to say, okay, what am I? Who am I? What does my political party say? I don't belong to any political parties as a matter of policy because I don't like my mind being influenced or certainly not controlled by anything outside. I'd like to suddenly in the privacy of my own brain, I'd like the freedom to do and think as I want. You know, that's part of not having a television, not listening to, uh, not reading editorials. And unless I know everything, you know what? It's like a jury. Before you, a, a jury makes a decision, they uh, sequest them and they limit their exposure to the case, to the uh, controlled environment of the courtroom. And after you get all the facts, now you can express an opinion. And afterwards, you're free to go to the press and read any newspaper articles you want. But first, you got to know the facts. And that's the way all human beings should work in all areas of their lives. It's more important than being entertained by uh, newspaper articles and uh, TV shows. Thanks for listening to Committing High Reason. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating or review. For the latest from Rabbi Shapiro and to sign up for his newsletter, head on over to committinghighreason.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.